0: what would it be?
1: It's the questions we ask that determine the quality of our life, right? The questions we ask that absolutely reveal our mental model and even our level of consciousness. What are we paying attention to?
0: I am thrilled to bring you back a One Question Podcast favourite guest today who I always have such wonderfully diverse conversations with. The ever-impressive Luca Parry is the CEO and founder of The Learning Future and works globally as a speaker learning strategist and educational futurist. Now, if you don't know much about Luca from the previous episodes, you need to go and check them out. But as one of Australia's top innovators, he speaks on futures, leadership and transformation, having worked with thousands of leaders and educators from diverse contexts all across the world, including in high-level policy for organisations such as the OECD, UNESCO and the European Commission. A rapid learner, he speaks five languages, has visited over 80 countries and holds two master's degrees, one in instructional leadership from the University of Melbourne and another in applied linguistics. As an educational leader, he was promoted to principal at only 27 years old and was named South Australian Inspirational Public Secondary Teacher of the Year as well. In 2022, he was listed as the top 100 innovator for Australia. Yes, one seriously impressive human, right? But as you're about to hear, Luca is not only smart, but he's just a bloody downright awesome human and a super nice bloke. So I love him dearly. Let's see what he's got in store for us today. Luca, I cannot tell you how excited I am to be sitting in front of you again. Welcome back to the One Question Podcast.
1: Great to be back, Mm -hmm. Michelle. It's lovely to reconnect with you. yeah.
0: It's been way too long. I've missed your gorgeous face. So uh, what has been going on with you the last couple of years? There's so much to talk about, I'm sure. But if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about,
1: what would it be? For me, it's the provocation that the knowledge economy is over that we no longer live in the era that we are attached to. And the mental models that maybe, you know, operate within us, many of us are no longer fit for purpose. And that requires true transformation.
0: But everything, you know, you come from a uh, educational background, like the fact that you're saying the knowledge economy is over is a pretty big statement. So let's dive into that a little bit more. Why do you feel that way? And why is this something that you're so passionate about?
1: I feel like anyone listening can kind of feel this intrinsically, feel it, you know, there's something going on. And this is often described as the, the meta crisis. perhaps the convergence of all these different moments in time. We are called not just to think differently, but to become different. And that's the distinction I want to kind of make. From an educationalist perspective, you know, this idea that knowledge is power, has stood really stood the time. You think about Machiavelli, you think about this idea that, you know, even back to this kind of Socratic seminar and dialogue, you know, to know really was power. And I think what we are now seeing is the decoupling of that in a powerful way in such that, you know, this year, all verification breaks in the virtual world, all of it. And so because of generative AI, by the way, which we'll talk to. So that means like what you know, it's not about what you know, anymore it's not about the inert knowledge and someone that works across schools and education systems and companies that tries to you know help them face the future and design a strategy for it it's not what you know it's not sufficient it's important but not sufficient it's what you do with what you know and i want to go a step further because that's a that's a wonderful saying right truism it's what you do with what you know so we're not in a knowledge economy we're in a creation economy which is how do you apply your knowledge hence enterprise skills Hence, innovation, design thinking, human-centered design, regenerative design, which is the expansion of that, I feel. And so, that's the first kind of, I guess, thesis I'd like us to speak to is that it really is not about, cool, let's just accumulate knowledge for the sake of knowledge. No, no, it's how does this, how do we apply this to the real world? And to go one step further, it's not what you know and it's not what you do with what you know, it's who you become as you do things with what you know. And that drops us into a deeper level. And this is the level of being, right? You might call this embodied practice. And all the neuroscience is now showing us that, you know, the, the extended mind or the effective neurosciences, that it's your emotional and cognitive structures in the brain are completely interrelated. So how you feel matters greatly because it shapes how you think. But also that our thinking isn't brain bound. We have embodied cognition, situated cognition, distributed cognition. So... All of this has massive implications, I would say, Michelle, for the way that we learn in schools, the way that we work in companies, the way that we even structure some of our societal communities. Because it's not what you know. It's really this idea of who am I being? Who am I becoming? Especially in an era where there's so many challenges that we see converging around us.
0: I um, I just said I've missed you, but here we are, three minutes in, and, um, yeah, you've just kind of blown my mind on three different levels. <laughs> so you always have such a fascinating way of articulating complex problems, Luca, and I just think the way you've just kind of nailed that um, there around, you know, the education piece and how we're moving, and I love the sense of, You know we're moving from that um, knowledge to the creative, which I'm just seeing every day. You know, so many people that are, you know, like me that have worked in business and corporate and have finally let loose their creativity, and it's opened up this whole entire other world to them. You know, there's like three of us in my studio alone that are. There's another fifty-five year old woman and a sixty. Plus, woman, we're multiple serial entrepreneurs. The three of us, we have multiple companies. We all do different things, but that creative essence that we're doing and bringing out every day is then fueling all the other stuff more than we've ever done before. And we talk a lot about it in the studio, which is really fun. What are you seeing in this space? You know, because you have a business, you've had your business for four years, called the Learning Future, where you're, you know, helping it people. I guess maybe through that transition now or helping them to understand what what else there is, what are you seeing that is in this category that is making you uh, feel that there's a real change in the air?
1: Well, I'm going to quote one of my favourite thinkers on this, Jamie Wheel, and he talks about we are seeing two things happen. One is this curve of coming alive, right, that's rising. I would say it's – I would be bold and say it's an awakening of sorts, right, even a personal awakening of actually what – what brings me the most joy or meaning? And COVID in particular kind of pressed reset on many people's lives, hence the great resignation or the quiet quitting epidemic. People were like, actually, what do I want to do with my one wild and precious life? Beautiful Mary Oliver poem. You know, that? so that I, I think we've got to check that. But like it's this this beautiful kind of awakening that's happening. Now, so the coming alive is happening, right? And I think your journey, Michelle, as many other people that have come from the corporate world, is just one. Beautiful small data point against a big data set. And then the other thing that's happening though is our stay, our potential to stay alive is decreasing. And so we're seeing, we're kind of hitting this inflection point. And that's why I'm very interested, of course, in not just the exterior sciences, but the interior sciences, right? And I'm I'm fascinated and do quite a lot of my work in the field of social and emotional development. Um, which has a whole three decades of empirical evidence behind how powerful that is and should be the central point of education systems. But we'll just leave that there for a moment. So that's kind of the first piece I would say is like we are seeing people come alive. And that's a very personal journey. People saying that, you know, the realization that we are alive is the first point. And actually, what do we do with the distinction between the I and the me? You know, like I being my awareness or my attentional capacity to really pay attention to anything and me being kind of my history, my stories, my, my kind of identity in some ways. And what we are seeing is the need to become less attached to who we think we are, particularly if you think in an economic frame, because if you, Michelle, thought you're a corporate leader in the tourism industry forever, and you could never let that, you could evolve past that. Well, then effectively we create a prison of our own making and we stay in that lane forever. And the groove becomes a rut and then, and when you ask people that are on their deathbeds, what do they regret about life? This is, I think, Bronnie Ware's work from Five Regrets of the Night. They say, number one regret is, I wish I'd lived a life true to myself, not the one others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd let myself be happier. I wish I had the courage to, to, to feel. You know, it's just, it's profound kind of stuff. When we think about that change. It's
0: profound, but it's simple as well, Luca, right? That's the thing with Bronnie's book. I remember reading it and going, like, it all makes sense to me. And I'd like, you know, written about death. So her topic, it was great to kind of um, read that and and meet with her years ago. But um, it's so simple. And I think that's what people don't realize, you know, to make those decisions and to be bold enough to go, enough, I'm, you know, I'm not going to have toxic people in my life anymore. And that might include your family. I'm not going to do that job and and go to a dead-end job thing that I hate every day and have to drag myself out of bed. But I think the thing that I challenge people on this, because everyone, oh, it's easy for you and, you know, you don't have kids, you don't have this. I'm like, fuck that. (laughs) Take responsibility for your own life. You know, everyone has different stuff going on and different responsibilities. So, you know, you make the decision to step into your own power and to design your life, and only you can do that. And the faster people realize that, the more happier they're going to be, right? So you must see that all the time in your space as well. Like people that go, oh, you know, yeah, that's great. And you have a lovely life, but I can't do that.
1: Y- yes. And I see it in myself. And so this is the whole piece, Michelle. It's like, which parts of myself, I, this is often called the anti-you. It's the resistance. It's the, the inner monologue that says, don't leap <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Don't expand. Make yourself slightly smaller in this moment for whatever reason. For in my case, it's like it's usually people pleasing, actually.
0: Mm. And is it self-preservation?
1: I think that is that psychologically is the rationale for most people, depending on the hierarchies and structures in which they grow up. But you know, even your beautiful point around becoming a creator. And I mean one of my favorite books that everyone should read and Writing in is the artist's way by julia cameron because and it's like on my desk here at the moment because it's it really is like it's an it's the awakening we're talking about it's like a remembering it's like you want to see anyone that's like the closest to enlightenment or whatever you know or living their best life it's the three-year-old jumping in a puddle with chubby thighs going like hello here i am all of me there's, you know, just complete presence. And, you know, and then of course we develop all these responsibilities and yes, we start to work in more and more complex ways, which is of course the nature of cognitive, social, emotional, spiritual development is this. But then I think what we've fail to do, and this is what Robert Keegan, I think speaks of so brilliantly, and he's a Harvard adult psychologist, right? Is we forget about the adult development. We think we've, we've left school. Have we out of university? Great. We've, "Quote unquote made it but no no no. that's like the beginning oh that's the end of the beginning and now it's now can we keep going and so you know can we move through the socialized mind yeah <laughs> it's like are we are we present to every moment you know and the frankly the quantum world of possibility that exists you can choose anything in your life the only thing is there are consequences based on those choices so this, this kind of rationale of like, see, what do I choose? And I love your language and Designing Your Life is a book that really shifted my kind of, my own orientation as, a, as someone that's interested in design and, and lifestyle. And it's by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans out of Stanford. And, you know, through the D School, and my connection there, I've kind of been around that work. And I just think it's such a beautiful concept and a tool that every young person in particular, but every person should consider. You know, Ikigai is another model that I love. You know this idea of what do you love to do, what does the world need, attitude, what are you good at, what can you get paid for, and that being a lifelong endeavor to try to find the center of that. Then, but I do think, I do think, Michelle, it's 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 not easy. I'll say it's simple, but not easy. The easy road is actually to add to make life inordinately complicated, because then it's a safer place. And you know, if you think of Adler. Psychology—it's like every decision we're making is actually we're tr- there's a goal always in that decision. And the goal of not making the leap is you are fulfilling the goal of not creating the thing that you want to create, like starting the business, like getting the promotion, telling the person that you love them, whatever it is, you know. And so, yeah, I reflect a lot on that. I think in in lots of ways.
0: Yeah, and I think that self reflection—you are—you're a big thinker and obviously a, you know an avid learner, um, something that we both really appreciate in each other. <laughs>
1: Nerd. I fully accept the label.
0: Well, if that's a nerd, like I, I just feel like I um, we all are, you know, those those that are big sponges and that just constantly want to learn. But you, what have you been doing in your life then the last couple of years? Because you've obviously been transforming a few things as well. But what can you share in this space of your own journey? Because it'd be interesting, you know, from an educator, then to be moving in and, you know, you're just saying that like becoming an awakening I know you're kind of probably be like me, that you, we, once you start this and it starts to crack open, it's like a bloody cavernous <laughs> thing. You're like, whoa, there's so much to learn. And, and I think also when you get rid of those shackles, as you sort of describe them in your own sort of prison, then it's like anything can happen. So once that was kind of gone of me thinking I'm this corporate, you know, CEO chick and I live in these boundaries of stuff... And at the start, I was a bit tentative. I was kind of just, you know, jumping the fence on both sides. Now, I'm like, whatever, <laughs> bring it on. What's your experience been like? And what are the things you've been trying and, you know, finding, um, I guess, that joy in through your kind of experience in the last couple of years?
1: Great question. I guess the first thing I would say is I've always been fascinated by ideas, by the world, and I would say like the kind of world outside, you know, like a, like you traveled a lot of the globe, you know, 85 countries, you know, seen a lot of things, learned a lot of languages, like really experienced life and gone for it, you know, done all these wonderful, challenging and amazing things. And I guess, and I think this might be resonant with many people listening is that with COVID, you know, all of a sudden, like even those identities that I held as the kind of global adventurer and the ultra marathon athlete, multi, whatever, all that stuff, you just kind of, you're with yourself. And there's this wonderful line from Blaise Pascal that I reflect on quite often. And he said, you know, philosopher, mathematician, that most of the world's problems, in fact, I think the quote is, all of the world's problems come from a man's inability to sit in a room alone with himself. And something really profound about that, because that's kind of what COVID forced upon all of us, was actually to stop... You know, I know now, even thinking back to COVID, it feels like everyone's just spun back up again. I feel a bit like that. I'm like, wow, I'm moving really quick again. I'm traveling lot. But, you know, this moment in time of just saying, okay, here I am. Like, I am that I am. Now what? Now where do I go? Like, what do I really stand for? What kind of life do I want to design and create? And so that's been the kind of underlying tone of the last few years for me. And I'm sure it's not unique in any way. Because there was this... Great pause, as they called it, and the reckoning of the pause. And I think if we slow ourselves down enough to remember that moment, it really was, there were deeper questions being asked. And I love the fact this podcast is called the One Question Podcast, Michelle, because it's the questions we ask that determine the quality of our life, right? The questions we ask that absolutely reveal our mental model and even our level of consciousness. What are we paying attention to? And that's not from coming from a place of judgment. It's just coming from a place of observation and awareness. It's like, what questions am I, am I asking myself? Are they the questions that my 95, let's hope, year old self is pondering on his deathbed? Or are they things that are so caught up in the egoic self that really they have no relevance to the arc of my life and I'm distracted and yet our entire Surveillance capitalist world has kind of brought us to this moment of distraction because that's the incentive model, which is so perverse, and I, I really think has to evolve lest we end up in some total cataclysmic crisis. So I guess that's that's kind of the base play, and then from that, like some really deep inner exploration. So not just the universe outside myself, but the universe behind my eye, as is often stated. You know, and so that's been the journey, an inward journey, like turning inward and doing inner work. Like we might say the work, right? The real work, which is, okay, well, who am I really? If I take away all these identity markers that I seem to be so wedded to, educationalist, futurist, public speaker, entrepreneur, Greek, Welsh, australian you know, just lightly hold all of those. Who am I really deep, deep down, far, far in? And I'm going to directly quote from Alan Watts here, because I think he, I've learned a lot from that man. He said, deep, deep down, far, far in, we are the fabric and structure of existence itself. And that's a pretty powerful embodied insight when you realize that even if you have no true religious or spiritual tradition, if you just realize secularly that you are made of stars, You were birthed in stars, billions of years old, and somehow all those atoms and subatomic particles have arranged themselves into this intelligent, thinking, moving, eating life form for this very temporary period of time. I mean, isn't that... That is... It's pretty mind-blowing. That's just remarkable. Do you know what I mean? And so, I think the awareness of, of being connected to source or God or whatever your language might be, the universe... I've been on a very kind of, I would say, inner spiritual path for the last couple of years. And what I've realized, I think, is that for a big part of my life, I was kind of chasing, chasing external validation. You might say being powered by like a sense of incompleteness.
0: Being powered by feeling a sense of incompleteness. Whew. It's pretty big. <laughs> I love the language you use there, though. That being powered by, like I completely relate to that. It's that drive to be better do better but often because of you know shit that's been imparted on you throughout your life right or as a kid or yes your parents the expectations and that's a really profound luca
1: yeah wow i don't think it's necessarily mine i'm sure it's just because even in this journey michelle i'm like now everyone's like, i've invented this thing i'm like oh great i my view actually is you've it's actually been discovered and again, this is what modern quantum science is really wrestling with, is that in the quantum field, all possibilities exist simultaneously. Quantum entanglement means that one thing happens here, something happens in the other side of the galaxy. And so, that's pretty freaky. But I love, I love kind of that field of inquiry. So, if you discover these these moments and that, what am I being powered by here? So And for me, like running as a long distance runner, which I've now become, it turns out, I remember like I used to be focused on, like it used to be powered by like, you'd need to do more, as opposed to now being trying to replace that entire base plate with one of gratitude and self-love, which is, wow, you're alive. You're running the New York City Marathon, which I did do last year, by the way, to raise money for the Indigenous Marathon Foundation. Great organization. What a gift to be struggling through this. As opposed to like, you've got to grind it and then, do you know what? Do it so you can tell the story later, which is a total egoic loop that I've noticed in myself as well, but as a storyteller, do you know what I mean? Yeah, do do the experience so that you can tell the story as opposed to being fully surrendered, fully savoring every moment of that experience. And that experience, by the way, can be doing taxes or like, you know, drinking, smelling a coffee in the morning or like, having a tough conversation, just but being fully present, not absencing, choosing to stay and resist in place and kind of hold your structure. I know this is rather kind of abstract and conceptual now, but that's been my lived experience in, in all the different modalities that I've tried, be it like deep breath work, be it some of the psychedelic medicine space and the ceremonial work in that, which now increasingly is becoming adopted by you know mainstream medicine, which is wonderful. Be it just sitting in circles of men and kind of talking about masculinity and crime you know even like that stuff is that's deep healing modality and why would you do that to really connect to who you are true like know thyself work which the Greeks were always talking about of course but like in a somatic way so it's actually in the body and paying attention to all the work of Bessel van der Kolk and this space around the body keeps the score and how then do you move energy and like I'm just very, very curious about it, and quite open-minded, and of course I try then to to ensure that there's like what's the what's the growing empirical basis for this, which I think people like Andrew Huberman do a wonderful job of articulating, as the neurobiologist he is at Stanford. So that's kind of been the last couple of years. But also, how do you, in summary, <laughs> like I know wild, and I'm not there yet, and I don't think I ever will get there because of course that's also a false destination. But but it's like how do you replace That any kind of mental model, the questions I'm asking myself of like, are you actually capable of doing this? As opposed to in this life, what's stopping you from doing this? And how do we move through that?
0: Oh, I like that. The reframing.
1: Oh, framing is, it is so powerful. It's like we see our world through frames, just like as a linguist, we see our world through language, which is itself its own frame. I think I realized that, you know, a number of years ago, It's the way, how do we learn to see, Michelle? How do we learn to see properly?
0: And feel, Luca, I think, you know. You just say that how we learn to see, you know, both, as you said before, in your universe, within, through your eyes, within yourself, but then how do we learn to feel? And that's one of the things I've kind of been working on is really sitting with emotion, which I've never really done before, you know, that whole like to get on with things, move through it, and I'm kind of a, you know, no bullshit type of girl. It's like, okay. You know, I deal with crisis and, you know, really bad things, I guess, probably better than lots of people do because I've experienced a lot in my life. But what I'm finding is that, you know, I kind of just, I don't, I haven't sat in the real grief, like, you know, being truly in it to try and, you know, get some healing from that or in the sadness or in the insecurity element. And the work I'm kind of being, you know, really putting myself through with that is just sitting with that emotion, having the conscious awareness of the effect on my body and what's kind of going on, you know, rather than being in my head all the time. So that's been a really interesting space and what's come out of that in terms of that connection to self more and which, you know, I've been trying to educate people for years about eating, you know, more intuitively. You know, some people eat meat, some people it suits better to be plant-based, you know, all the things. But I'm like, pay attention to when you eat, something. What happens in your body? Because your body's telling you all the time stuff that's going
1: on. You just have to tune into it. That's beautiful. Just just on that, honing our interoceptive ability, which is everything that goes on inside our skin. We're so good at being outwards. It's kind of this idea of moving inwards. And it was the first podcast episode that I, I ever did on the Learning Future podcast was with Professor Mark Brackett from Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. And his whole thing is give yourself permission to feel step one because it, it's actually on us you know it's the remembered agency that again back to bronnie's work like it's what we remember is yeah, the elders were like oh yeah i wish i'd allow myself to f- show my emotions feel my feelings that we suppress them and they manifest and give us disease you know in in many respects so that i think is beautiful to feel michelle and i think that staying in a space and allowing yourself to cry i mean especially if you're a man listening to this podcast. In a Western construct. Like, you know, for a long time, men have, have been told not to cry. And that's been so damaging for well being. It's like literally the most human process ever. If you th- see a two year old hurt themselves, they process the emotion immediately and then they return to presence. And, you know, they, that's held in the body. This is what the sciences are telling us now, you know? And so, well done especially on cultivating the bittersweetness of life, you know, because I think there's something that rewards positivity and I'm, I'm kind of an optimist, but also I've fallen into the toxic positivity trap as well and be like, no, everything's fine when it's not really fine. I don't feel well, you know, <laughs> Got to go and sit alone for a while. Yeah. And even your whole frame of like embracing imperfection, you know, that's beautiful. The messiness of life, be a bit messy. Instead of like be the perfect wife, husband, father, mother, employee, entrepreneur, like there's so much pressure that we place on ourselves. And so to like finish this long rant, it's like, how do we treat ourselves as a best friend would? You know, that's a beautiful practice, actually. Like right now, if my best friend was feeling this, how would I treat them? And then turn that back inwards. And it's part also about that, like, can you fuel yourself on this abundant gratitude and self-love kind of energy, you know? optimism for the future or are we kind of still kind of stuck in a mental model that doesn't serve us
0: No, just beautiful as always it's so insightful whenever we chat I just love our conversations so much I think you and I should just have a podcast so I can just talk to you all day every day oh we could do that because <laughs> <laughs> we there were so many talk things talk about the same things yeah I could go down all different tracks but Luca it's um, yeah, just divine thanks so much for um, our chat today it was beautiful to see you again
1: my absolute pleasure Michelle
0: Well there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour?